Well, is anyone getting used to having worship here in, in a gymnasium? Is it getting, is it getting normal yet? Uh, no. <laughs> well, I wanted to, you know, we've been down here. I wanted to give, uh, share a picture of what's going on. I just think it's interesting to know what the development is. And, you know, we're kind of locked away over here. So I'd, I thought it might be good to take a, just a snapshot of what, what the sanctuary looks like right now. So uh, look at that. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I don't, I don't see the pews, though. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all right. That's fine. Uh, no, this is nice. The, the, the flooring came in this week. It's all coming together. It, but uh, the lighting seems a little off, to be honest. I don't want to complain. But um, this morning, uh, we, we're going to have a unique uh, 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 service together. We're going to talk about the issue of human trafficking and specifically child trafficking. So um, this subject matter is not going to be explicit, but it may not be suitable if you have young kids here. So if, you're, if your family's not ready to talk, have this conversation, then uh, this might be a good time. Our children's ministry is expecting uh, some kids possibly at this time. So uh, if you would, just kind of help the transition. Why don't you all stand while I have our scripture reading for the day in case anyone needs to slip out. Our scripture reading for today is Isaiah Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 9. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and uh, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. One of the most basic, fundamental Christian beliefs Uh, It seems simple, but it's incredibly profound. It's the belief that we were created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, that you and I, we were created uh, in Genesis 1, is this beautiful crescendo of creation that God was creating and calling things good, and it it, it climaxes in the creation of humanity. And, And we were created in the image of God, male and female, in the image of God, and God declared this is very good. This is real good. Uh, this understanding of being created in Im- image of God is fundamental because it shapes a lot of things. It shares with us God's intent for you and I. For the deep longings within us, it's because we have the image of God. So, for instance, we're creative people because we were created in the image of a creative God. We have this great longing for relationship. Why? Because God is a relational God, and we are created in that re- the image of that relational God. It just goes on and on. We have deep understanding of who we are by understanding who God is. More importantly, we understand who we are deeply the deeper we know who God is. This is how we've been created. It also shapes our role in this world that we've been created in the image of God to take God's image wherever we go, to kind of have this ability to to resettle this world through God's image and have this world reflect God's image and likeness. 
This also shapes, though, how we see one another. I can't just simply believe that I was created in the image of God, and you weren't, right? If I was created in the image of God, that means that you and I share in this incredible worth and value that that gives. That means that all of us here have God-given incredible value and worth because we are created in his image. But so does the person who's eating out of a dumpster uh, behind 6th Street. So does the person in India who's never heard the name Jesus. This idea of being created in the image of God really shapes our understanding for God's longing for justice in this world. Every issue of social justice returns to this fact that we were created in the image of God. Therefore, it's not right when people, uh, are, their value, their image is distorted or devalued in any sort of way. This is what compels God to judge justice. We even see Jesus. He went further on to identify with humanity by saying, whatever you have done for the least of these, you've done for me. For I was naked, I was hungry, I was in prison, I was sick. That Jesus we even went further to identify with us. The Bible, old and new, speaks out, though, uniquely speaks out for a certain set of people and called the church over and over, God's people over and over again, to seek justice for them. And it's interesting. We see these four different types of people. We see the orphan, the widows, the foreigners, and the poor all throughout the Old Testament, especially in the minor prophets, minor and minor prophets. God's condemnation over the people was in their lack of justice around these specific groups, among other things. Why? Well, these people are the most vulnerable in their culture. And so, what would happen was that evil preys on vulnerability. This is the darkness of this world, is that evil preys on vulnerability. And might this still be the case in our day and age? That evil preys on orphans, on widows, on foreigner, and the poor. See, those are the same people, the same people that have God-given image, that they um, are captured and they're used, they're neglected, they're abused. Those are the same type of people that are being swept away in human trafficking today. Human trafficking is a form of slavery by which people are taken, abused, and used for the profit or pleasure of other people. It might be in the form of someone who uh, pays to be illegally brought into the U.S., so they pay the sum of money, they're brought in, with this idea that they have paid for safe uh, and secure transport, and all of a sudden they exit from a van, and they're in the middle of nowhere without any communication, and they're forced to, la- to, to labor inside of a warehouse without pay, with just enough to keep them alive. And they're threatened that if they try to do anything, that they will be reported and sent to prison or sent back home. They're forced into that labor. Human trafficking might look like a young girl at the age of 10 or 12, who runs away from home, and she is welcomed by this uh, seemingly kind couple outside San Marcos, and she's put into an RV. She's locked in there, and uh, truck drivers, uh, they pay for her day in and day out. Human trafficking might look like a young boy in Syria, in Uganda, who's taken from his family and forced into be a soldier and to fight someone else's war. Human trafficking can look like a lot of things. Um, This is no small problem in our world. 
here's some statistics to kind of share a picture of why this is going on or what is going on. The estimated human trafficking industry is over $32 billion a year. That is more than Starbucks, Google, and Nike combined. Some estimate that as many as 29 million people exist in slavery worldwide. 100 to 300,000 U.S.-born children are trafficked in the U.S. The average age of a teen who's forced into sex trade in the U.S. is 12 to 13. What is the value of human life? What is that Imago Day worth? 90 bucks worldwide. That's the global average cost of a slave in our world today. It's 90 bucks. The bottom line is there's more slaves in our world today than ever before. That's our progress. There's more slaves in our world today than ever before. And it's happening in our own backyard, believe it or not. As Christians, we might be tempted to focus on less disturbing things. Even for you, you might have wanted to come into church today to have somewhat of an inspirational, encouraging message to kind of get you through the rest of your week. And I'm sorry. Uh, This is going to be encouraging in a different type of way. But you see, God would have it differently. Again and again, God calls his people to stand up for the defenseless, to sacrifice their comforts, and to step into pain and darkness for those who are imprisoned. Here, God's heart, this is first uh, scripture passage comes in. This is a lit- there's a litany of passable passages I could have chosen that speak of God's heart around this issue. Psalm 9, 9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 10, 17 to 18. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. Psalm 72. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood and their sight. Might this be what God still feels today, still thinks today? Even Jesus said of his ministry, the one that he gave to his disciples, who gave to people like you and I, Luke 4, uh, Jesus said, He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is God's heart. And God's master plan was to take his longing for justice, his longing for mercy and grace, and now raise up a people, raise up the church today to go and see this thing happen. Listen now to God's call for us. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. This is God's call for us today. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, look after the orphans and the widow in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Isaiah 58. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? God calls the church to this ministry. And when we see how huge this need is, how dark this world can be, you can kind of leave feeling a little bit powerless. But I'm grateful for people who see God's call for justice and are seeking to do something about it. Uh, Brooke Crowder, uh, I've invited her to come and share what the church is doing, what God's people are doing. Brooke, would you join me and would we welcome her, please? Thank you.
So, um, uh, just a little story of how Brooke and I first met. When I was a junior in college, uh, with long, flowy, beautiful hair, <laughs> I decided uh, I had a lot of friends that were our friendship went a couple inches deep, but I didn't have many friends I was actually sharing my life with. You know, it was few close friends who you can actually just everything's on the table. And so I was looking at my fraternity picture with all of our guys uh, in the fraternity, and I was looking, I go, I'm just going to ask Luke if he wants to be that guy. So I called up this, uh, this other guy named Luke, and I asked him if he'd want to meet once a week, and it was awkward for a while. Uh, and uh, that was in 1999, and we still encourage and keep each other accountable. It's been an incredible gift just to encourage anyone who's not experiencing that. Uh, but what came along with Luke was getting to know his sister, Brooke. And so that's how Brooke and I first got to know each other. Brooke, would you mind sharing with us how you first uh, found out about this need and how you experienced God's sense of compassion around this? Sure, yes. Um, it was in 2004, and um, I was in seminary working on a master's degree, and Gary Haugen, the founder and president of International Justice Mission came and gave a presentation and in that presentation in the video there were little girls ages four, five, and six being pulled up out of a hole underneath a brothel and um, what was taking place was these little girls were being held there during the day um, only to be pulled out and put in the brothel at night to be prostituted and when I saw these images and heard their stories my heart just broke literally broke and I sat in the chapel everyone left and I sat there for over an hour weeping unable to stop weeping and my advisor um, and dean of the school found me and um, he just said Brooke you know God has obviously captured your heart mm -hmm. and I think this is the call on your life mm -hmm. and that really resonated with me and I believe that that was true I just didn't know what it would look like um, I spent the next few years in seminary doing as much research as I could on child sex trafficking and what that looked like um, and at the time there wasn't much information and certainly not much information about what was going on in our country around that issue. Um, and so um, it was right after seminary, our family moved to Central America, and I was in Costa Rica in language school. And I began hearing that Costa Rica was one of the sex tourism capitals of the world, um, or of the Western Hemisphere, really. And um, so ended up staying in Costa Rica working with girls that were being forced into prostitution there in that country in a lot of the um, brothels in San Jose and the resort areas as well. So you, you went to Costa Rica and you found that, you know, that was, was that your first experience of seeing this kind of hands-on and up front, uh, and up yeah, front and actually the seeing street level. that mm -hmm. God gave you this sense of compassion and, and yeah, was, you know, was putting that in your place. So right. what did you do there? Uh, well, we, um, the, the system in Costa Rica is set up, the, it's very um, complex and often the families and all of the different people where the girls are um, forced into prostitution are complicit in the whole system. And so we weren't really able to rescue the girls there. We were just able to work with them during the day and really 
speak truth into their life, that their life was more than this. But it was a very frustrating time for me because uh, we couldn't rescue them. And there were very few services, especially for the poor in Costa Rica, to be able to get the kind of help that they needed. Um, and I knew that back in my home country, um, this was starting to, I, I started to learn that this was going on in the United States in even greater numbers, and that we could do something in our country about it. Yeah. Um, and so, when I moved back in 2010, that's when um, I began to find out, okay, what are we doing in our country about this issue? So, so five years ago, you returned to the U.S., mm -hmm. and what did you discover about what we can do here? I mean, because like, I think most of us think, when we think of this issue, we do think it's a third-world country issue. Right. And, we, and we, we wouldn't do something like this, or our nation wouldn't be home to something like this. Right. It, you know, the, the, the numbers that you uh, shared are very reflective of what's happening in our country. Um, a lot of people think that these are children that are brought from outside of the United States into our country and trafficked here. But actually, these are U.S.-born children. These are our children that are born here that are being forced into prostitution. And that looks different for every girl. The story is different. But um, the, the bottom line is, is that it is happening in great numbers. And once you get educated and once you learn what it really looks like, you'll find out that it's happening all around us. Yeah. Um, we just have to know what to see. So like, how, how big of an issue is that for Austin, for Central Texas? And I know it's a... It's a hard thing to kind of put a number on or to, it is, yeah. to figure out because evil kind of exists in the dark. Correct, right. And it's hard to know when it's not in the dark, right? It is, and so numbers don't necessarily tell the story precisely. However, some of the things that we can say and know is that every year 47,000 children go missing in the state of Texas, and we know that one in seven of those children will be caught up in sex trafficking. Now that doesn't mean 47,000 children and then we just don't ever see them anymore. Those are just 47,000 reported cases of children that go missing and one in seven we know mm -hmm. are being forced into prostitution. So that number alone is startling. But if you bring it closer to home in Austin, um, I work with a group of people already working in our community on this issue. People in the juvenile justice system, APD, Human Trafficking Task Force, um, lots of social service providers like CASA mm -hmm. and others that are already encountering children caught up in the juvenile justice system. And so what we're seeing now is that we can document no less than 30 cases a month just in our area of child trafficking victims. Um, and because it's hidden and kept in the dark, um, I know that that number is easily doubled. That's on a monthly basis. So in your mind, it's around 60 kids a month. No, that we are able to identify and confirm this is a trafficking victim. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so you returned to Texas five years ago, and uh, you found out that Austin had doubled in size, and, <laughs> and it got really crowded. Uh, other than that, you started waving around the banner of a dream that God had given you. Mm -hmm. And what, I mean, so part of your story is understanding, for me, when I look at your story, that God broke your heart mm -hmm. for something. And for many of us, it's hard to figure out our place in this world, and it's hard to figure out our call in our life. Mm -hmm. But for some of us, an indicator of our call is, what does your heart break for? Right. And so for you, you have this huge amount of compassion around this issue. And it was almost as if God put 
part of his heart in your heart so you could feel what he feels and be compelled to play a role in this. Right. So what's, what's happened what, with that dream that God gave you, you know, a couple of years ago? Well, when I came back to the United States, I, I knew facts. I knew what was going on. Um, and so I began to ask, what are we doing in our community regarding this? And, um, you know, when you talk about God placing that dream and breaking my heart, it was what I knew was the call on my life. I just didn't have a plan. But I felt like if that's really what God had done, he had a plan. Well, it's very and, biblical that God gives people this call and go, you're going to have to trust me right. every single step of the way. I'm not going to give you a plan and the call, just right. the call. <laughs> right, because right. you have to learn to listen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and it's what it means to walk by faith, yeah, I think. Right, and right. so um, so when I started asking around Austin, so what are we doing? Who's doing this? Who's doing what? I found out that really we were just talking about the issue. We were getting educated. There were other organizations that were doing a lot of educating around the issue, but no one was really doing something tangible to help a child survivor. And so I started approaching other organizations and asking them to do something about it and said, why don't you guys start this, you know, I, I can help. And people started saying, well, why don't you do something about it, Brooke? It's a good and, strategy. We yeah. learn it at the church level. If you ever come up with a great idea, do not ask us about it because we'll just say, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Good luck, you know. <laughs> We do a great job just releasing people of that. Right, So that's exactly. what happened to you. So that's what happened to me. And, um, you know, when enough people tell you that, you start to listen and yeah. think, well, maybe there's some truth there. Um, and then, as God would have it, circumstances came into place that really made it very clear that I was supposed to start something. Um, and so through the course of about a three-month period, there were many little mini-miracles. A group of nonprofit executives that I was in a class with began to really just say, we're going to help you put this, get all the paperwork together, put this in mm. place. Um, and then within a couple of weeks, I got a phone call from a man who I had never met. And he wanted to meet me for coffee. And we sat down and... Um, he wanted to hear about this dream and this vision to help child trafficking survivors. And at the end of our two-hour meeting, he just said, do you want 50 acres to help make this dream come true? And um, You said, I'm going to have to pray about that? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. so it was kind of clear in my face, I better do something. So yeah. um, through those significant miracles within such a short period of time, um, the refuge was born and incorporated as a nonprofit in the state of Texas. And Again, I'm so like for me, there's two layers of this conversation. I'm sorry to kind of take us off track, but it's one is about what's going on in your life. But it's another thing, what God does in people mm -hmm. to give them a heart for something, to give them a vision of something, and then to be a way maker so, you know, like, God is not going to give us a call in our life without providing us and sustaining us a way forward, mm -hmm. one day at a time, one awkward coffee conversation with a stranger that you didn't know, you yeah. know, and that's mm -hmm. how God shows up. Exactly. And so this idea of the refuge mm -hmm. was born from that. Mm -hmm. So what is the refuge? So the refuge is a long-term therapeutic ranch that's currently being developed in Bastrop County, which is where the 50 acres that we were given um, and the idea is that the girls that we are able to work with and help there will come and live long-term. They'll live in uniquely designed cottages specifically designed for survivors. And on the property, we'll have all of the services that a child survivor needs. So medical care, education services, 
different types of specific therapeutic programs specific to trauma-related care for children and um, equine therapy, art and music therapy. Mm. And so when a girl arrives at the refuge, um, based on her age and her background and her level of trauma, uh, we'll design a a process of care for her. We call her circle of care. Mm. And um, some of the girls uh, will need to be there maybe nine months to a year. Some survivors uh, need to be there much longer, two to three years. There's no time limit. It's just however long a girl needs to go through her healing process and be able to move back out into the community with a new life, basically. So where are you guys at in in making this happen? Well, we've, um, for the last 18 months, we've really just had the opportunity to build our board, build a really solid nonprofit organization, and work with architects, a team of architects, whose heart also has broken over this issue. And they have designed what we are now looking at here. And we will be breaking ground in early September and um, building the Refuge Ranch. And at the same time we're building the physical property, we'll be building our therapeutic programs and putting all the right people in place so that when we're able to open our doors, which we anticipate will be late summer 2016, um, we'll be able to care for 48 girls on the property. Mm-hmm. So this is the way that God's kingdom works. There's going to be some people who have a, a sense of compassion over this and passion over this, and some people who might have that for uh, another, you know, whether it be prison ministry or uh, issues around poverty and hunger. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? This is a hard question. I, I've asked Brooke this about a year ago, and she grimaced when I asked it, which is, so what, what can somebody do to help out? And that's just, that's a hard question, I'm sure, but mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some people who are, might want to raise a flag and say, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want to be a part I of I think a year ago I grimaced because we were, it, it, one of the things that makes this issue challenging is so many people, their first thought is, I want to help the girls. I want to work with the girls. But for the needs of their privacy and protection, often that's not an opportunity. Um, but now that the refuge is really at this place where um, we are able to incorporate so many people with different skill sets mm-hmm. and different um, opportunities to open up their home and bring people in and help us share the vision of the refuge, there's, there's lots of opportunities for people to be involved um, in many different ways, whether it's professional skills or just of their time and their talents. Yeah. One of the things that happened as we were talking about this was Ann Moltz was a part of a conversation, and I could just tell a light bulb went off in her mind in this part of this conversation, and, and she had this idea. This is just an example of God calling people using their gift set that they have. And she said, what if we provide, she's a part of the, the prayer shawl, Uh, group at our church and what if we could provide a prayer shawl for every girl that could come that would come in and tell them that every single knit was a prayer done for you and this idea of being wrapped and being covered and comforted uh, what a beautiful demonstration of someone using their own like gift things be able to be a serve for God's purposes yeah Uh, and so like but there are people with educate people have skills and education right Uh, Right, medical skills, um, educational skills. When we start forming our teams that will be providing our circle of care, um, we'll have a lot of openings and needs for people that can use their professional skills. But yeah, Anne, it was so wonderful when Anne brought up this idea. And so 
Their plan is to knit a shawl for every girl so that when she arrives at the refuge, she'll have that waiting for her. So they're going to be busy this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brooke, um, thank you for what you're doing in our world, in our community, and uh, the opportunity to partner with someone like you. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a, it gives us encouragement to know that there is something that we can do. And I know that um, our affection for that is just a small, small fraction of what God is feeling and thinking. Uh, would you guys all join me in saying a prayer? Would you extend a hand towards Brooke? And I'd love to be able to pray for her. Jesus, we thank you for giving us the example of what it means to be compelled by love. And uh, as we extend our hands towards Brooke and towards this ministry, we pray for your abundant blessing upon them. We thank you that you're not only a, a dream giver, but you're a way maker, that you make uh, a road in front of us as long as we keep walking this faith journey with you. I thank you for what you've done in and through Brooke's life, for being a God who would break her heart for something that breaks yours many years ago, but to see her through to this point. We pray a blessing upon this organization. We pray that you would bring the people around them to be able to make this happen. And for the children who right now who need to be rescued from this situation, I pray, Jesus, that you would be a way maker for that, that they would be found, that justice would be known, that healing and wholeness would ha be hap happen in their life. And we thank you for this time. We thank you for this testimony. And we give... Uh, Brooke, in this ministry to you, and pray that in, in your hands it would be blessed and it would flourish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys uh, thank Brooke for being here with us? Uh, this is a hard thing for us to stomach, to figure out what we can do. One of the things that we can reflect on is that even Jesus... He sacrificed the comforts of heaven to be compelled by God's love to be sent to this world to be a companion for those people who are in need, to create a refuge for us. So even though our situation in our life might not be as bleak as a child who's in that situation, many of us, our hearts are heavy with our own needs, our own questions, our own hurt that we have in our life. I just want to, before uh, we close in this sermon, be able to say that God can too be your refuge that in turning to Christ, he can bring about healing and wholeness for all of us. Let me say a prayer for us, and we'll continue in worship. Jesus, we thank you for being a refuge for us. And as we continue in worship, I just want to say thank you, God, for generation upon generation, being a place where holiness and healing happens. And we look for the eternal home that we have in you, when we will be fully known in you, even as we fully know you. We love you. We worship you. We pray this in your name. Amen.